Well, thanks so much for joining us for SCF Online today. Today's talk is gonna be a little bit different than usual. So if you're new to SCF Online, or maybe this is your first time um, engaging with us in SCF Online, it is going to be different. We've called today a family talk. And um, I've been here at Solid Church for about five months now, and we haven't uh, done a family talk yet, and so, that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to give some updates on staffing stuff uh, here at Sobel. Um, so this, this might seem like um, more insider kind of information than usual, but I hope that as you listen, um, I hope that your focus really is on the grace of Jesus. That's really going to be kind of the theme of, um, of the next several minutes. Well, as part of this family talk, I wanted to tell you some of my story, which is actually kind of a hard story for me to tell. I won't drag you all the way back to uh, 1964 when I was born in Meaford and uh, raised there. Rather, I'm going to jump ahead to June of 1988 when I was married at the age of 23, and I would begin pastoral ministry on a full-time basis later that fall in Mount Forest, and by that time I had turned 24. I was hired by a church called Faith Baptist Church in Mount Forest to be their senior pastor. Faith Baptist was a small church, about 40 people or so, but during our time there, the church grew. Uh, People came to faith in Jesus and new young families with kids moved to the area and joined with us. And it was there in Mount Forest that my eldest son was born in 1990. The church became a busy, lively, fun, uh, uh, vibrant uh, place. A lot of different ministries and things continued to grow. I hired another staff person. We started some new ministries and things were coming along really nicely. And after about four plus years, it became clear that the church would eventually need a new building. The existing building was entirely landlocked. It had no parking lot, just street parking. And uh, so the building was becoming a liability to um, the growth of the ministry. And I knew that a relocation and building project would be a multi-year endeavor. So it seemed that I would either need to stay there for the next long stretch of time, to see that project through or leave and uh, provide opportunity for somebody else to come along with perhaps more experience and to lead the church into and through the next chapters of ministry. Well, I ended up choosing the latter and uh, we would move to London in 1993. And by this time, my wife and I had two children. My daughter was born in 1992. The Baptist Church in London was larger. It had around 400 people or so, and I was hired to be a staff person. The senior pastor had been one of my professors in Bible college, and he hired me to come and to work on staff with him. The church had been quite traditional and very conservative in its day, and the senior pastor, my boss, was hoping to see things move in a more contemporary direction. And so, Uh, My areas of responsibility were to uh, initiate small group ministry, which uh, back in those days, it was still a rather novel thing. 
Uh, also to initiate a second morning service that was more contemporary in nature, uh, singing current music uh, with a worship band and so on. Uh, singing what some people called singing off the wall, uh, as opposed to singing uh, from the hymn book. And uh, also to do this involved completely changing the way that Sunday school had operated in this church for decades. And also we would revamp and eventually replace the Sunday evening service, which again had operated the same way for decades. So in other words, at this church, it was my job to be a change agent to take uh, decades old methods, much loved methods in most cases, and initiate some pretty bold and sweeping change. And I was young and really eager uh, to make all of these changes happen that had been assigned to me. And because of the traditional history of the church and the fact that these changes were quite significant, you know, certainly not everybody was on board and there was some opposition and some resistance and some uh, disappointment, like when we moved the, the pulpit off of the platform and pushed the big old organ up against the wall um, to make room for a drum kit and a multi-piece band. There were some people who were a little bit animated about that, almost like the pulpit and the organ had been lowered from heaven by angels and placed on the platform never to be moved again. Well, I knew that as a staff person, I would likely not be there for years and years, maybe two or three years. I was there to perform some specific tasks and to gain some experience and learn some new skills that I could then take with me somewhere else. And so I was quite determined to make all of the changes that were assigned to me. And so I was full steam ahead. And I would admit I wasn't uh, particularly popular with everyone for sure because I had become branded as kind of the young renegade who had come in to make all of these changes and dismantling things and replacing methods that have, in many, way, in many cases, had been in place for uh, decades. And I was going uh, pretty fast, going like 100 miles an hour to make these changes because I was looking at the role as really rather short term, like a sprint you know, go as fast as you can, hit the finish line, having accomplished all of the tasks, glean some great experience, and then move on. Well, with many of these changes in place, even though I was young at the time, uh, I found myself pretty tired. In hindsight, I will say, uh, sadly, that I had become a workaholic, neglecting my marriage and my kids, which I justified, of course, wrongly, by saying, well, it's only short term. When we go to the next church, things will be different. Well, before I could actually finish and leave, my boss, the senior pastor, announced his resignation and ended up moving to a different church in a different city. And I had planned to resign too at that point, but then was asked rather unexpectedly by the board if I would stay on as the interim senior pastor. And they said, well, you've worked so hard and you're the first one here and you're the last one to leave. And all of the changes that have been made have been so embraced by the younger demographic of the congregation, not so much by the older demographic. And so I said yes, that I would stay on for an interim period of time of however many months it took them to hire a replacement for my boss, and then I would move on. So I said yes to that. 
The problem was, though, I had become accustomed to operating at a rather unsustainable pace. My marriage was clearly suffering. That might not have been evident to anyone else. It was to me and certainly to my wife. And my kids were not receiving my best. But I said yes, thinking that, well, it's just going to be a few months and then things will be different. Well, about a year later, I was asked to stay on as the permanent senior pastor. And I said yes. By now, I'm in my early 30s. We have three children at this point, another son born in 1994. And I am, I would say, a full-on workaholic at this point. I had been absolutely driven to push through all of these changes and to, to make it work. And, and as I said earlier, I, I, I looked at it as short-term, like a sprint. I rarely took days off. Most days I was up and out of bed uh, early, out the door before my wife and kids were awake. And often I didn't come back home until after they were as asleep. My calendar uh, consistently showed me being out 28 evenings a month. And now that I was the full-time senior leader and only used to going 100 miles an hour, well, that was what people expected of me. That was the person that they hired as their permanent senior pastor. That's what people applauded in me. And uh, I wanted to be applauded. I wanted to be liked. So now it's permanent. And there's no finish line in sight. And the problem is you cannot sprint a marathon. Well, in 1996, we added some staff, new secretary, youth pastor, part-time music and worship pastor, etc. But by this point, I have a major problem. Things, things looked great, probably, on the surface. Things looked successful. I had older pastors calling me for advice about how to lead through all of the changes that we had made. But I was just barely hanging on by my fingernails. I, I would never admit that to anybody, but... I was rapidly burning out and just unraveling. My wife is essentially a single parent at this point. And to cope with stress, I began to keep a 26er of whiskey hidden in a locked filing cabinet in my office. Not a good strategy. Well, one Saturday morning, October of 1996 to be specific, just a little over 25 years ago, I was in my office early that Saturday morning as usual. I had just had an argument with my wife as I was once again heading out the door. She's not happy. I'm not happy. I'm coping poorly uh, with loads of stress and challenges. And so I was sitting in my office chair just kind of spun around looking out the window when there was a knock on my office door and it was the music worship pastor I'd hired who was a woman about my age. She had seen me through the window in my office door just kind of staring off into space and she said, are you okay? And in that moment, I just unloaded a bunch of frustrations. My wife is unhappy with me, the border being jerks, I'm facing a bunch of challenges, I'm totally stressed out, I can't sleep at night, etc., etc. And I, I vented and actually felt somewhat better. Well, she and I would chat again and again, 
and she would begin to confide in me about challenges with her husband. And our relationship became unprofessional and unhealthy. And in 1997, it became an extramarital affair. Well, as you might imagine, this would end my ministry. My wife and kids and I moved to Hepworth to try and save what's left of our marriage and family, but I was broken. I was emotionally dead. I was an emotional zombie, just emotionally frozen. I was depressed. I had no life in me and I couldn't even muster up any life inside of me. And for probably two years, I didn't sing a song. I didn't pray a prayer. I didn't read a sentence of scripture. I was broken. I was wrecked. Now I was working successfully as a leasing manager at a Ford dealership, but I could seem to muster no energy to try and invest in and to try and repair my marriage. And by 1999, my wife had had enough and I certainly can't blame her. And she'd eventually file for divorce. So we separated in 1999 and I became a half-time single parent. I would have my kids for one week and then they would go with their mom for the next week and so on and so on. We did that for several years. On the weeks when I didn't have the kids, I would throw myself into work, just like old times. By 2000, I was desperately unhappy emotionally dead, just a real wreck. I was doing fine in my job, I was getting promotions, but I had no joy, no life. I was still racked with guilt and shame and embarrassment, but I was too stubborn and too proud and too arrogant to do anything about it. And one day the realization came to me very, very strongly that my only hope was to recenter my life on Jesus. That was my only hope. Because quite frankly, I had come to the place in my life where I really didn't care if I lived or died. And to recenter on Jesus, I knew that as part of that, I would, I would need to go back to church. And so one Sunday, I went to the Alliance Church in Owen Sound. And I went there because it was large and uh, I felt like there I could be at least a little bit anonymous. And so one Sunday morning, I went into the morning service and um, went into the auditorium from the rear and sat on the right-hand side near the back so I could make kind of a quick exit when things were over. I looked around the room and I didn't really see a lot of super familiar faces except for one way over on the far left-hand side of the room, I saw Peggy and her husband. Now, I didn't know Peggy well at all. I had met her years before. Uh, Peggy is an aunt to uh, my sister-in-law. Well, after the service, as I was planning to get up and to get out, I happened to look over to the other side of the auditorium and I glanced at Peggy and she was laser focused on me. And I quickly looked away and uh, 
Then I glanced back over again and Peggy was on the move. She was heading right toward me, making a beeline directly for where I was sitting. And she was coming in hot, as they say. She had a very determined gait and a very serious expression on her face. I assumed that she was probably going to confront me. You know, how could you? You should be ashamed of yourself because I'd had a lot of that. But as she got closer to me, she, she didn't slow down. You know, even way back then before COVID, we still had kind of personal space, right? A, a social kind of distance where particularly if you don't know somebody well, you, you maintain that. Well, she busted right through whatever that uh, polite spacing was. And she threw her arms around me and she hugged me hard and she didn't let go. And she whispered in my ear, God is not done with you. He loves you. Everything is going to be okay. Well, I was shocked. I actually hadn't been hugged uh, really for quite a while by anybody other than my kids at that time. And well, I left church that day and went back home and I came back to church the next Sunday and sat in the same spot and I glanced over to where Peggy and her husband sat and there she was again. And after the service, I thought I would make my exit. Uh, I had assumed that Peggy got that out of her system the week before, but I was wrong. And once again, she made a beeline for me and hugged me whispering more words of grace and kindness and assuring me of God's love and that with him, all things are possible. Before long, I found myself wanting to go to church, not dreading it as I had been. Wanting to go, not because of the preaching, not because of the music, but because I knew that Peggy would be there and Peggy would hug me and speak words of grace and life and hope and affirmation to me. And I don't want to be overly dramatic, but being hugged by Peggy at that time was like being hugged by God. And the words she spoke to me was like listening to Jesus speak to me. God used Peggy to literally change my life. And I don't say that with any exaggeration whatsoever. In fact, I phoned Peggy and her husband just last week. They live in Texas now. And we talked at length about this all again. And she remembers it with laser clarity, just like I do. And she remembers what she was thinking. And she remembers how strongly she felt prompted by the Spirit to be a voice of grace. She told me last week, she said, you know, if you had to run out to the parking lot, I'd have chased you all the way there. Well, long story short, my relationship with Jesus was once again giving me hope and joy. Jesus was beginning to bring healing, beginning to bring me back to life. Well, in 2003, I met Jean. Her husband had died in a tragic workplace accident. And Jean's two kids and my three kids were similar ages and were on the same sports teams. Two of our kids, uh, one of mine and one of hers, kind of set us up and uh, it worked. And we got married in 2005. 
Gene is an absolutely undeserved gift of God's grace to me. She is an incredible blessing of God in my life. We just had our 16th wedding anniversary last month. I am so blessed beyond measure. In 2008, I began feeling a stirring in my heart that God was calling me back into some kind of ministry. I didn't know what. I was, however, absolutely certain that it would not be in a local church, certainly nothing pastoral. I had always been taught and had always believed that pastoral ministry was a one and done kind of thing, that if you fail, particularly the way I did, that you were on the shelf permanently. And so in 2008, while I was working full-time in the car business and operating a business on the side, and Gene was working full-time in shift work, and between us, we had five teenagers. I went back to school, mostly online, mostly at night, although I did have to go down to the States uh, a week at a time um, to do a master's degree in a counseling-related field. I figured that if I could help somebody who'd made the same mistakes I have, or better yet, if I could help them before they made those mistakes, well, that was perhaps how I could serve Jesus in ministry. Maybe do that on a volunteer basis, maybe on a bivocational basis. I wasn't sure, but I would train and I would be ready for whatever doors Jesus might open to serve him, as long as it wasn't in a church. Also, in the middle of that time, in 2008, my youngest son was diagnosed with cancer. And that in and of itself was a, just a wild and crazy journey. I'm so glad to say today that he's healthy and well, praise God. And uh, he and his wife just celebrated their first wedding anniversary last month. Well, around 2011 or so, Gene and I began attending here at Sobel Church. We'd been going to the Alliance Church in Owen Sound, but we lived in Hepworth, and um, each of our kids worked out here at the beach in the summers, and so we were constantly shuttling our kids back and forth from Hepworth to Sobel Beach. And so one Sunday morning between shuttle trips, we came here for a service, a service really out of sheer convenience, and we never left. Well, in 2011, uh, I was still working uh, for a Ford dealership, and uh, at this point, I was working out of the Port Elgin location. And so on Wednesday mornings, I would leave Hepworth, and I would come to uh, Sobel Church Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock for a men's prayer time. And uh, we would pray, and then I would head off to Port Elgin to work. One of the things that we would pray about just about every week was this Concarden church plant, uh, planted by Sobel's then pastor, Dave Opertshauser, or Dave O, as I will call him from this point out. Dave, had, uh, Dave O had planted this church in Concarden in 2010, a church called Blue Water. And they met uh, every Sunday afternoon at three o'clock at the Davidson Center in Concarden. And so when I would come to Sobel on Wednesday mornings for men's prayer, we would pray and pray and pray every Wednesday for this Blue Water church plant. I didn't know anybody in the church plant. I didn't know anybody who went to Blue Water. I had not been there myself, but we would pray. 
And honestly, the updates from Dave O were often kind of grim, really. The group was tidy, discouraged, not growing, thinking about giving up. And so one Sunday afternoon, I decided I would drive to Concordon for the three o'clock Blue Water service at the Davidson Center. I just wanted to go and encourage the people and encourage them to keep going and to encourage them that they were doing the right thing, that if Jesus calls us to do anything, it's to make disciples and plant churches. So keep going and trust Jesus that he will build his church. And so we would continue to pray Wednesday mornings, only now I had some faces and some names to pray for. And this burden for this tiny little church plant grew in my heart. Well, in June of 2014, this Blue Water group decided that they no longer wanted to meet Sunday afternoons, they wanted to meet Sunday mornings. Now, this clearly presented a challenge for Dave O because uh, what he had been doing was preaching here at Sobel two times in the morning and then traveling to Concordon to preach at three o'clock. So if Blue Water starts to meet in the morning, Dave certainly can't be in two places at once. And so Dave O, knowing that I had a ministry background, he asked me if I would fill in preaching each Sunday in Blue Water for three months, June, July, and August of 2014. He picked three months because he, Dave O, was retiring from Sobel Church at that point, and there was this new guy coming, some Dave Brotherton uh, guy coming in August. And so, um, you know, when Dave Brotherton gets here in August, then he can figure out what to do with Blue Water. And so I said to Dave O about this possible three-month pulpit supply stint, I said, Dave, you remember, I told you my whole story, the good, the bad, the ugly. You remember, I told you, it ended in shipwreck. And you remember I told you that I would never, ever, ever again be involved in pastoral ministry. And he said, yeah, I remember. And he said about that, I think it's time you get back at it. And he said, it's only for three months. And then he said to me, you know, God can do, God can do more with your sin than just forgive it. Well, I filled in for three months. It was really difficult and challenging. I hadn't preached a sermon in 17 years at that point. And so Dave B. did indeed arrive in August of 2014. And the first thing that he asked me was, could you continue to fill in until Christmas at Blue Water? And I said, hey, Dave B., I need to tell you something. I need to tell you my story. And I told him the, the good, the bad, the ugly, I'm, I, I shipwrecked, I'm divorced. I kind of expected him to say, oh, I didn't know that. I'll find someone else. Instead, Dave B. essentially said, you know what? God will use your story if you let him. It's a story of grace and redemption, and God will use that if you trust it to him and let him use it. And so I would continue to fill in until Christmas. And when Christmas came, Dave B. said to me, could you do it for three more months? Well, long story short, by August of 2015, I had made plans to quit my job. Jean had made plans to quit her job. We would sell our home. 
we'd put the last kid who was at home in an apartment in Owen Sound, and we would move to Concordon to dig into this church plant. It was a risk, to be sure, leaving two full-time jobs for one part-time job with absolutely no guarantees uh, was a risky move, but God was so good, he amazingly met every single one of our needs, and the little church grew uh, bit by bit. I remember about that time I was preparing to leave my job when we were preparing to move to Concordia. And I had a conversation with my friend John Hand, who at that time was working for our denomination. He now works for the Meeting House. But at that time, he asked me this question, what, what kind of church do you want Blue Water to be? And I immediately said, I want it to be a Peggy church. In my mind, I envisioned a church where anybody and everybody could go and just know that they're loved by God because they would be loved by us. Regardless of their story, regardless of their shipwrecks, that they could know they're loved by God because they're loved by us. I envisioned it as a place where people could, could come and really belong and find family. A place where people could come and find space and grace and time to discover who it is that God had created them to be in Jesus. And you know, for just about seven years, Gene and I got to hang out at Blue Water and be family with one of the finest groups of people that I could ever hope to be associated with. And now I'm back here. Kind of a circular story of sorts. Back just before the pandemic, Dave B and I had, had actually had some conversations about what would it look like when you finish at Blue Water to come back. And, and so we talked about what, what it might be like for me to work under him and to help him in ministry in terms of site development and, and that sort of thing. And so really I'm here where I'd hoped to be. I'm here where I wanted to be. I just didn't want it to be in this role. And so I continue to um, drink coffee and pray for Dave and pray for healing. Pray for a comeback. If it weren't for Dave O and Dave B, these two men of God meeting me with grace first, taking a risk, giving me a second chance, an opportunity for a comeback, I certainly would never be in ministry today. And so here we are, November 2021, in this really unique and difficult season of ministry, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the disruption that COVID has caused to church ministry is immense and protracted. This is definitely the most difficult time I've ever experienced in pastoral leadership. Church planning is hard, but leading during COVID is harder and more complex. So I wanna take a, a few minutes before we share communion together, and uh, if you don't have uh, some juice or a cracker handy, you might wanna grab that. We are gonna celebrate communion in just a few moments. But before we do that, I just wanted to highlight some, um, some staff developments here and to inform you of some changes. Well, with the departure of Andy Disher from our staff in August, clearly that uh, has left us with some holes, particularly in terms of um, our youth ministry and our worship ministry and our sound and tech ministry. And of course, during 
COVID, many of you know that Andy became kind of our digital engagement guy, our online guy, filming, editing, uploading services, um, uploading video for, for online uh, worship services and so on. You see, during COVID, churches like ours uh, essentially have added a new staff role or maybe a halftime staff role in digital engagement. Because as you recall, in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit and when things uh, went into lockdown, we had to quickly pivot and move online and engage in recording and video editing and so on. And so with Andy's departure, we're really down a staff person and a half in a sense because of the new digital engagement role that really we had to create. And so, you know, in the last while, our youth leadership team has done a fantastic job of stepping up and keeping the youth ministry going and moving forward, and we're so appreciative of that. But they're tired, really stretched thin, and they need help now. And our worship ministry team, likewise, has done a fantastic job stepping up, keeping us worshiping, keeping us singing, but they're tired, they're stretched thin, and they need help now. And our sound and tech team have stepped up and gone above and beyond. So many Sunday mornings, I'm here at seven o'clock and I'll see Peter and, and uh, uh, Tim um, on the job, uh, even that early on a Sunday morning. And we're so appreciative of all, of all the things these, these guys and others on the team have done, but they're tired and, and stretched really thin and needing help. All of, our, all of our ministry teams right now, there's just this kind of pandemic fatigue that has settled into to a lot of us, particularly so the youth leadership team, the worship team, and the sound and tech team need help now like two months ago. They need to be resourced. They need to be assisted with recruiting new volunteers and helped with administration. And uh, they need someone to come along and serve them and support them as they lead. And we also need somebody to just take on this whole area of digital engagement, filming, editing, online services, social media, website, etc. Now, Ken has pitched in with great work in terms of learning the filming and editing process for our online Sunday services. And he's been grinding it out for us week by week these last uh, few months. But it's not where he thrives. It's not where he's passionate. And it's also happening not at a sustainable pace. It's short-term at best. And God brought Marina along at just the right time and with just the right skill set. She's wonderful. And uh, we're so thankful that she'll be with us for uh, several weeks yet. That's a real blessing. And so Ken and Marina and others make things happen on a week-to-week -week basis. But we need someone to come along and to shore up the digital ministry end of things so that we can refocus on vision and direction and not just on the day-to-day. And so many of you know Dave Hamill. He served here on staff 2014, 2015, 2016 as pastor of youth and worship. His staff role ended in 2016. Quite frankly, it didn't end well. It ended with disappointment. It ended with Dave kind of in an unhealthy place. And so the, his ministry um, 
needed to end at that place, both for Dave and for the church. And in the last five years, Dave H has been in the car business. But in the last couple of years in particular, I've, I've kept in, I would say, semi-regular contact with Dave while I was working at Blue Water. And what I've seen in Dave is just a replenishing in his life spiritually. I've seen a revitalization in his heart. And he and I have talked at length about how God has been stirring in his heart to re-engage in ministry. And I have been committed to helping Dave make a comeback in ministry, to have another chance. Now, I never imagined that it might be here. I was assuming it, it would be somewhere else in our BIC family. But Dave's heart for Jesus, for people, for ministry, for the kingdom of Jesus has grown and grown. And both he and Mindy and family are ready to jump back in. As I was mentioning, I have been uh, committed to helping Dave make a comeback into ministry somewhere. Even before I knew Andy was leaving, I was committed to helping Dave. I just didn't envision that a comeback might be here. I will tell you by personal experience that comebacks are hard. Harder still is a comeback in the same ministry location. But friends, this is who we are. This is what we do. We're a grace first people. This place, this is a hospital. We help people make comebacks. We offer second chances. We wanna be Peggy's. We wanna be Dave O's. We wanna be Dave B's. And so with Andy's departure, and uh, with our current and uh, quite frankly urgent needs to see ministry teams shored up, particularly in the short term. I have invited Dave Hamill to join our staff on a 14 month basis in the area of really two things. Number one, team support and digital engagement. Team support and digital engagement. This role is more of a doer role than it is a pastoral role. And here's what I mean by that. So Dave supporting the youth leadership team does not mean leading the team, nor does it mean being the youth pastor. It does mean serving the youth leaders by means of prayer for both leaders and youth, encouragement of existing leaders, coaching, by means of sharing expertise, recruiting new youth leaders, uh, resourcing of material, helping to alleviate overworked leaders by assisting with administration, coordination of events, coordinating communication, as well as participating in the ministry. Dave, supporting the worship team does not mean leading the team, nor does it mean being the worship pastor. It does mean serving the worship leaders and teams by means of prayer for both worship leaders and musicians and vocalists, encouraging the leaders, coaching by means of sharing expertise, resourcing material, coordinating the schedule, recruiting new leaders, players, musicians, re-engaging where possible people who once participated and perhaps have since stopped because of maybe COVID-related disruptions or other things, and, and also participating in the ministry. 
Dave supporting the sound tech team does not mean leading the team. It does mean serving the existing volunteers through encouragement, through prayer support, resourcing, maintaining equipment, coordinating schedule, recruiting, and helping to train new volunteers, as well as participating in the ministry. And the digital engagement portion of the job description means taking full responsibility for all facets of the production of online services. This means taking what is and improving and innovating what currently exists. Overseeing social media, website, becoming expert in finding ways to engage people who connect to us primarily in digital ways as opposed to in person. Finding ways to, to normalize and enhance digital engagement and to better facilitate online worshipers and becoming active disciples who increasingly know God, become like Jesus and change our world. And so Dave Hamill will be joining our staff tomorrow morning. Let me just say a few things about uh, our other staff members, starting with Kathy. Kathy has been on Sobel's staff for 16 years. She is our bookkeeper and facility manager. And as facility manager, she sets up and tears down for multiple events here, not just on Sundays, but all through the week as well. She is involved in janitorial duties and, um, and uh, maintenance and, and other things. She's always smiling. It's great. And she works hard. But one of the best things that I appreciate about Kathy is that her first priority is always people. To Kathy, people are more important than the books. People are more important than the facility. She prioritizes people. I love that. And her heart for people and the way she is just interruptible has rich missional value on our team. Well, we're not letting Kathy get away. Jenna, you know, Jenna has been on staff here about six years. She's our director of kids ministry. I love Jenna's heart for kids. Her heart to, to want to see children just fall in love with Jesus and follow him. And she's brilliant at it. And she's very hardworking. And her heart is just sweet and kind. She is a delight to have on staff. Now, she does try to cram too much work into too few hours. And so very recently, we upped Jenna from two and a half to three full days per week. Now, I would say this to you, our SCF family. Um, we need help in kids' ministry. Can I encourage you to reach out, maybe email Jenna, jenna at sobblechurch.ca. Just let her know you're praying for her and just encourage her. And maybe there's ways that you can help participate even from a distance in, in the helping her in our kids' ministry. And maybe, maybe you're uh, regularly an in-person worshiper and you're checking out the online service today. Um, let, me, let me just encourage you, don't wait for Jenna to approach you. Go, go and find her. Seek her out and encourage her. Ask her how you can pray for her. Ask her how you can help in kids' ministry. Maybe there's a part that you can play in seeing our beautiful children here know God, become like Jesus, and change our world. Well, Ken has, uh, he's been on staff here at Sobel about 14 years 
And, uh, you know, we've pulled him in a bunch of different directions in the last two to three months. Ken is the consummate team player. He jumps in and he serves in whatever way is needed. And I don't want to sound dramatic, and I've said this to his face, but I am so glad that Ken is on our team. And I literally could not do what I'm doing without Ken. Couldn't do it. Now, I've known Ken uh, quite a while. And I've come to know both his areas of giftedness and his areas of passion. Ken is a processor. He likes spreadsheets. He's enthusiastic about administration, and he's really good at it. I don't know how to make a spreadsheet. I don't even want to learn how to make a, a spreadsheet. I don't like administration, and I'm pretty bad at it, actually. Administration, to me, is like soul death, but it's weirdly life-giving and energizing to Ken. And so starting tomorrow, Ken will begin very gradually toward a job description that is 40% administrative, really overseeing the day-to-day -day kind of executive function of the church and overseeing our systems. And that will be about 40% of Ken's job description. The other 60% will be in an area where he's also very passionate, and that is community engagement. And so, for example, you might remember a few weeks ago, we uh, partnered with uh, the United Way in a, in a backpack uh, initiative as part of our 30 for 30 campaign in this, our 30th anniversary year. So we want to do things like that, but more and more and more. And not just in our anniversary year, we want to do it ongoing. We want to engage with local businesses, kind of like we have uh, in the past with uh, like Amici's and with Dairy Queen locally. We just want to do that more and more and more with local businesses and local agencies and local groups. We want our communities to know firsthand that we love them and that we're here for them. And so, for example, Ken will sit on the uh, Sobel Chamber of Commerce and uh, we want Sobel Beach, our Jerusalem, to know that we're here for them and we love them and we want to engage with them and we want to serve with them and we want to serve them. But the same for our Judea. You know, Wyerton, Owen Sound, Allenford, Terra, Sogging Shores, etc. And so part of Ken's role going forward will be to see this building regularly getting filled up and utilized by our community partners as part of our community engagement. And Ken will gradually morph uh, into this administrative and community engagement role. Gradually, because... He has current areas of responsibility that are extremely important and we have no intention of abandoning those areas and we're in uh, discussions right now as to how we'll address those going forward. And you know, I mentioned Marina um, and we had Maddie and Jamie and Kyla as, as part-time students who've come along in the last number of months and helped us out. We kind of hit the jackpot with um, part-time students uh, on our staff. So blessed. Well, I want to say that serving here at Sobel as acting lead pastor during this unique ministry season is really an undeserved gift and honor. I definitely won't do it perfectly. You've likely already learned that. But I will give my very best to follow Jesus, to listen for his voice, and to do what he asks. 
And you know, we've talked a little bit about comebacks today. Well, coming out of COVID is like a comeback of sorts for Sable Church, right? One that's gonna take all of us pulling together in unity to see it happen so that we truly do move forward together in love. And I think it's so appropriate that we would end our family talk around the Lord's table. But just before we do that, we're gonna sing. just before we take the bread and the cup, I want to read some verses of scripture from Isaiah chapter 53, not a passage that we often look at at communion time. We usually focus in the New Testament, but this passage written by Isaiah, the Prince of Prophets, 700 years before Jesus came, is just a masterpiece. It's brilliant and has such clarity and detail, prophetic detail of the life of Jesus, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus would bear our sins. And I, I want to read some of this for you right now. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 2. And, and, and here Jesus, the Messiah, is described as the suffering servant. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. And Jesus grew up in dry ground. Think of it, he's born in, in Bethlehem, in a stable. He grows up in Nazareth. Can anything possibly good come out of Nazareth? Dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. That doesn't mean that Jesus was homely or ugly or had this kind of off-putting or gruff demeanor. Some artists have tried to depict him that way. He was certainly not like that. Uh, children flocked to him. The common people received him gladly. 
What's being described there is the fact that when Jesus showed up, it was without any of the paraphernalia of royalty. No crown, no robe, no chariots. If you'd have seen Jesus with his disciples, you would have seen an ordinary band of, of uh, peasants with sandals on their dirty feet. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. That's what we thought. We as represented by the people who stood around the cross but what was actually happening, verse 5, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep, the whole human race, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Well, why don't you take the bread and just hold it in your hand, and would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you bore our weakness, our sorrows. We acknowledge that it was our rebellion for which you were pierced through. Nails in your hands and feet, a spear in your side. You were crushed for our sins. You were beaten so that we could be whole and whipped so that we could be healed. Thank you, Jesus. You were crushed for my sin. You were beaten so I could be whole. You were whipped so I could be healed. Thank you, that you bore all my sin, all our sin in your body on the cross. Such grace, such undeserved, lavish love that we might have life, life now to the full and life eternal in your presence where there is fullness of joy forevermore. Amen. Let's eat together in remembrance of Jesus. I'm going to read a couple more verses from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. says, He, the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus, he was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. And I'll jump down toward the tail end here. Talking about what Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant has done for us, what he did will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Well, let's take the, the cup. And you can have that in your hand. And would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, 
you shed your blood for us. A lamb willingly led to slaughter so that we may be counted righteous. Not a righteousness of our own, but your righteousness credited to our account so that our sin debt would be paid in full. Such grace, such lavish love. You gave your life's blood for us. You were buried. You rose again victoriously from the grave, validating that everything you said is absolutely true. You are our living Savior, our victorious rescuer and redeemer. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. Amen. Strength together. Amen.